Well, good evening. It's good to see you this evening and good to be out together with you uh, as we study God's word together. You're going to be uh, in 1 Samuel this evening. So if you want to get out your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, so we've been studying through Isaiah and PM, but I swapped it to the AM. So tonight we're going to be studying about prayer. Uh, and a lot of the prayers that we've been looking at have been prayers that are uh, more extraordinary and uh, kind of beyond belief of, of anything that we would ever experience as uh, God reveals himself to men in a very physical form uh, with, Ab- with Abraham and then also with Jacob. Uh, and then he reveals himself to Moses uh, in the tent and then uh, revealing his glory to Moses, at least to some extent. Uh, now we're going to kind of get some more practical uh, examples of prayer and hopefully learn some very valuable uh, ideas and lessons from those studies. Uh, and tonight our focus is going to be around Hannah. Uh, it's interesting that the book of Samuel opens up uh, after the judges, still being in the time period of the judges, uh, yet it doesn't focus on the, a judge. It, it really kind of bypasses the judge and goes straight to a woman named Hannah. Uh, the judges have just been going downhill throughout the book of Judges. So whenever we get to 1 Samuel, it's no wonder that we don't even read about how Israel uh, failed miserably and then they repented and then God rose up the judge Eli and he conquered and defeated some people and then uh, he, he helped the people for a period of time. It doesn't even tell us any of that information about Eli. It just you know, lets us know that he was a judge at that time and uh, really it gets on with the main part of the story, uh, which is focused around a woman named Hannah. And so that's what we're going to be studying about tonight. And as we think about prayer, uh, specifically, I want us to consider how we think about our, our prayer life. If you, if you pray a lot, um, to think a little bit about the depth of the prayer, to think a little bit about the motivation behind the prayer. As we study this tonight, um, why do we pray? Why are we saying the things that we're saying? Why are we asking for the things that we're asking for? Not just, you know, what are we asking for, but why are we asking for whatever it is that we're asking for? And as we study together tonight, we're going to see in this uh, example of Hannah uh, that, that it's a really interesting idea to, to consider why are we praying for this or that. Uh, If you know the story of Hannah, you you know that she has a problem. She's married to a man named Elkanah who has two wives. Uh, If you read there in verse 2 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, it says, uh, He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Uh, Notice the description of these women is simply revolving around one key characteristic, or one key thing. Uh, Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this is a description of the two women. Uh, there's not a whole lot of other background information given. It's just one had children and one didn't have children. And as you're reading that, especially you know, understanding the context, understanding the culture, you know that's a big deal to not have children uh, throughout the, the Old Testament, there's a lot of women who have not had children. They've been barren. Uh, you know, Sarah was barren for 90 years, and uh, Rebecca was barren. Rachel was barren. Uh, a lot of the women who were part of the Israelite nation 
were barren at some point in their lives and had to struggle with that. Uh, but, but being barren and having no children uh, is something that maybe a lot of, of women today can relate to, but being barren and without children in those days was on a whole nother level. Unfortunately, in our society, having children is, is uh, not really looked at as a necessity in a lot of places. People don't care about having children. I've, heard, I've watched, heard of people who just think, I don't ever want to have kids. Why would I want to have kids? I can live my best life, and I don't have to worry about having uh, to take care of somebody else. That just sounds miserable. And so they have abortion after abortion, or they just, just try to stay away from having children, and that's kind of the culture we live in. In those days, that was not the case. Having children was extremely valuable and important in that society, more so than today. It's valuable today. We want children today. We love having children today. A lot of us do. But in that day, it was a matter of survival. In that day, children were the status symbol. The women who had children were providing for their family. Uh, in order to survive, in order to have prosperity, you needed children. They were your labor force. You know, they were the ones who were going out in the fields. They were the ones who were shepherding the sheep, like David, out there shepherding the sheep. They were your labor force. They were free labor to go out and to work for you and to provide for you. And, and as a wife, if you could provide children for your husband, then you were exalted in society uh, for, for all of the children that you could bring into the, to this world. Not only that, as a nation, they looked for women to provide more people because more people means security. It means an army that's massive and and great prosperity for all. So women were kind of exalted for this. If they were able to have children, they were exalted. Uh, and if they weren't able to have children, they would suffer. We see that's the case with Hannah. Look at verse 6. Her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. See, she had to deal with not just the struggle of maybe some insecurity. You think also uh, the children are the ones who are going to provide for you as you get older. Your husband dies. You're a widow now, and, and you're not really able to marry. You have children who take care of you. There's insecurity there. That, that would have been a bad thing for them, but not just that. The other wife started to uh, irritate her, pick on her, mock her, uh, because she had no children. And this is not new. We've seen this in other cases. You remember Sarah uh, had Hagar, who was uh, kind of acting like she's the better wife because she had children. <coughs> you remember Leah felt that way toward Rachel, and Rachel had uh, no children, and she was barren, and she had to deal with that. So there was an added level of suffering that was being given to Hannah and to other women who, who had no children. And so she's dealing with that. That's a problem in her life, a very serious, a very real problem, a very uh, important thought that would go through her mind every single day, I'm sure. And she struggled with that. Uh, you see, as uh, she responds to this, uh, the, the irritation that's going on, the provoking that's going on, in verse 7, uh, they, they go to this sacrifice <coughs> every single year. 
and her husband Elkanah would offer this sacrifice and he would give portions to Penina and, and, and her sons and her daughters and then he would give Hannah a double portion and, and they would go together to this uh, year after year and the, the other wife would be provoking her and making her really upset about what was going on. And then we read in verse 7, it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. She gets to the point where she's going to the house of the Lord to worship, offer these sacrifices, and she doesn't even want to worship anymore. Right? I mean, this is all about worship. You're eating this food, you're feasting, and, and you're worshiping. And you're, you're rejoicing at all the blessings that God has given you. It's probably some kind of free will offering or something like that. You're supposed to be rejoicing. And Hannah wouldn't rejoice. Um, Hannah would weep and she would fast. She wouldn't eat any of the, the sacrificed meat that was given to her. She's given a double portion from her husband. And she would just let it go to waste. She wouldn't even eat it. <coughs> but all that weeping and all that fasting didn't change her situation. It didn't, it didn't make the Lord all of a sudden respond to her. It didn't help her to have children. Uh, she still, year by year, went to the house of the Lord and, and found nothing. In verse 8, we see her husband tries to console her. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart so sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Guys, have you ever done this? seen your wife upset about something and, and you tried to, to encourage them and get them to be happy and you tell them, am I not a trophy husband? I mean, come on. I mean, how'd that work out for you? Uh, no, it doesn't work, right? Well, it didn't work out for, for him either. Um, you know, claiming that you're, you love her is important and telling her you love her is important and showing her you love her is important, but, you know, telling her she, she ought to be happy whenever uh, she's sad, does not work. Uh, I've tried that before. Uh, that, that gets you in trouble, so stay away from that, guys. Um, but yeah, it, it still didn't fix the problem. It still didn't solve the problem of uh, her not being exalted in society, her not experiencing the relief of, uh, from the, the irritation and the mockery that, that she was receiving. And so she's still going to be upset, and it doesn't fix anything. But, but all of a sudden, we read in verse 9, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son... Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Now she gets up, and she goes to the house of the Lord. And there's this picture of her rising up, going to the house of the Lord, and then she prays, it says, and she weeps bitterly. Now she's been weeping, right? She's been weeping and fasting, but now she's praying, and she starts weeping, and it's just bitter weeping. In other words, she's just... She's overflowing with, with emotions and, and bitterness, and, and she's all upset. Now, what, 
what happened? You know, I thought going to the Lord and praying to the Lord should help her. You know, it should make her feel better. Like she went there to find solace, to find comfort, to find peace. And it seems as though she's even more upset. Have you ever done that? You ever been praying uh, to God, trying to reach out to him and trying to get him to help you in something that you're struggling with? And then you start crying and, and maybe you've cried about this before, but now you're crying to God and you're like, it's coming out of you and snot's going out and everything. It's just like, it's, it's just horrible, ugly crying going on, right? Uh, you're just really upset and really, really uh, frazzled by all the things that have gone on in your life. And you're just pouring your heart out to God. And then we read that she vows a vow to God. Now, if you know anything about vows in the Bible, they're not really something that's encouraged. Um, you know, don't take vows lightly is kind of the message. Solomon tells us not to vow uh, you know, haphazardly, because God's going to expect the thing that you vow. And Jesus says, don't vow at all. You know, it's better to just not vow than to, to say a vow and to lie and to not give to God what you said. But she makes a vow to God. And she asks God for a child. And in response, if God would give her a child, she says, I'll give it back to you. If you give me a child, I'll give it right back to you. Now, that's kind of an odd prayer, isn't it? I mean, if you give me a child, I'm going to give it right back to you. I'll devote him to the Lord and not a razor won't touch his head. In other words, he's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to be a servant of God's. He's not going to be my child. Now, let's think about that for a second. How does that help her situation? How does that fix anything? A child is going to be born to her who will do nothing for her. Do nothing to help her. Uh, do nothing to help their family. And, and do nothing to assist her whenever she gets older. She's going to go through the whole process of having a child and then wean the child and give the child away. A child that she's waited for for years. She's just going to give that child to the Lord. That's odd, isn't it? I mean, it's just like, wh why? Why would she want to do this? I want to recommend something. Her whole perspective has to have changed. In order for her to say this, in order for her to actually want this, her whole perspective has to change. Whenever she's there before the Lord and she's weeping and then she starts weeping bitterly, it's not because she's just so upset with God, but it's probably more so because she's upset with herself. Usually whenever I'm praying and I'm upset and I get more upset, it's because I start talking to God about all the things that he's done recognizing how good he is, how much he's done for me. And I start exalting him, and then I start realizing how ridiculous the thing is that I'm asking for. How I'm sitting here pursuing my own exaltation, which is what Hannah's pursuing, her own exaltation in society, when I'm not the one who's worthy of exaltation. God is. She's been coming here year after year failing to really exalt God and focus in on God. She's just been so self-focused. 
And I, I submit to you that she's weeping bitterly and she's upset and she's able to make this vow now because she's recognized it doesn't matter if I'm exalted. What matters is for you to be exalted. You're the source of life. You're the hope of Israel. You're the one who's made all these promises that we're here worshiping you about. And so she's making this vow with a totally different perspective. That it's not about her being exalted, but it's about her getting to play a role in God's exaltation. And so she wants to devote this child completely to God. Uh, and, and you see this maybe more so as a repentative kind of a vow that she's, she's going to give this child to God. Well, after this happens, Eli witnesses all of this. You saw Eli mentioned earlier. She, he's sitting there at the, the doorpost of the tabernacle. Uh, he witnesses all of this, and he at first rebukes her, says, Why are you going to be drunk? How long are you going to go on being drunk? And she says, I'm not drunk. I, I'm, I've been distressed and full of anxiety and grief over uh, you know, the things that I've been missing out, that, that, I, that I've been desiring. And, and Eli says, Go in peace. And the God of Israel, grant your, your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then listen to this. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So Eli calls for God to grant her petition. And then she's done. Like all this time, these other things have happened, and She's not been fixed. There's nothing that's fixed her problem. She's, she can't help it. She's just full of grief and anxiety and, and fear and upset and crying and weeping. And now Eli says, go your way and, and may God grant your petition. And she's, she's given herself up to God and she's prayed to God and she's made a vow to God. And now she hears this and then she goes her way happy it seems she's not upset anymore she even eats you know she's not fasting she's not weeping well what changed notice she's not pregnant god didn't make any promises to her eli didn't make any promises eli just said may god grant your petition you know god didn't make any promises to her notice she still won't get to keep the baby afterwards so it's not as though her whole life situation has been turned around it's all the same, her place in society is not going to change. And yet now, because of her different perspective in life, she can go and she can worship. Without sadness, without weeping, without being upset, and, and she can serve God. You know, as we see this whole shift that she goes through, we should just kind of pause and think about ourselves. Why do we pray for what we pray for? Why do we pray for what we pray for? What's the focus? We weep and we pray asking God to remove our sufferings, whatever those sufferings are. We pray, we ask for God to comfort us uh, as, as we're dealing with this world. We pray asking for God to provide us with something that we're seeking and we're very self-focused a lot of times. I know I do. But Hannah has a shift. 
instead of being focused on herself and her own exaltation, she gives up those selfish desires and she seeks to exalt God. And that's, that's her shift that she does. And then it takes her from being upset about what she doesn't have to starting to be content with what God's given her and to even look forward to what God might have in store for her in the future. What would that look like for us? What would that look like for you? What is it that you've prayed for, that you've desired for God to do for you all this time? Can you get to the root of why you're praying that prayer? And is it like Hannah? Are you, are you coming to that realization as more of a self-focused thing than a God-focused thing? And have you revolved your life around something other than God's exaltation, God's glory? Ultimately, we see Hannah desires to exalt God. And this is very clearly seen in her follow-up prayer in chapter 2. We do see at the end of this, she is given a son, names him Samuel, uh, and eventually she weans him, and she takes him to Eli, and she gives him to the Lord, just as she said, as she, said she would. She prayed for the child, she was given the child, and she gives him back to the Lord, and then she worships God. Notice her prayer after that. Verse 1 of chapter 2, Hannah prayed and said, my, Lord, or my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Notice as you read through this, you see Hannah's not focused on her status or exaltation anymore. She has status, she has exaltation because she belongs to God. Because God is with her. God is on her side. Uh, and, and as she's prayed this prayer, you see that that vow wasn't about her. It was really about God. And she's just excited to play a role in God's exaltation and God's glory and his plan of salvation for mankind. And she's happy because she gets to provide something. She gets to play a role in all of that, uh, whatever God has in store. And we know, as you continue the story, that Samuel does play a major role in the kingdom of Israel 
uh, going from being the last judge to being the first prophet who anoints both Saul and David uh, before passing away. So he played a pivotal role in turning the people's hearts back to God. After the period of judges, he turned the people's hearts back to God and then in anointing the, the future king of Israel. So Hannah, in all of her, uh, you know, destitute, uh, feeble situation became a wonderful person that we now read about. Why? Because she exalted God. And, and she gave up the pursuit of herself. And she simply just wanted for God's name to be glorified. I think that's a wonderful thing for us to take note of. As we pray, what are we seeking? Are we seeking God's glory or are we seeking our own? Are we really so focused about uh, feeling good? And receiving praise from others? Are we really so focused about enjoying life for ourselves, this, this temporary vain life? Are we really that focused? Or are we focused on ultimately God's glory and God's name being glorified? And that's, that's her goal, and I think that should be our goal as well. Uh, interestingly enough, as you read the story, you, you find out that she goes on to have three sons and two daughters in verse 21. Uh, so she ends up having. Uh, six children total uh, because God opened her womb after having sons. So even though she, she stopped really seeking and searching for the blessings and, and the exaltation of herself, she received it. And God blessed her beyond what she even asked for. Uh, so it's a wonderful story for us to take into heart and to consider in our prayers. Why are we praying? Um, you know, am I, am I seeking my own exaltation or am I seeking the exaltation of God? Uh, and I think that's a valuable lesson for us. I hope, I hope you found it that way. Uh, if you're here tonight and you've not accepted the grace of God, you've not yet started to live for his glory, we want to give you an opportunity to make a change. Uh, and we want to help you in that in any way that we can. Uh, if you have not yet given your life to Christ and not yet lived for his glory, then the eternal blessings... Uh, you, you're going to miss out on those, and we don't want you to do that. We want to help you uh, to, to find those blessings, to have a relationship with God, and we want to encourage you in any way we can. Please let us know what you need. Come as we stand.